Hey there, welcome to the Student to CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Mason. We're talking to entrepreneurs who launched their business at a young age, and they're now killing the game. Tune in to our episodes as these guests spill the dirt on taking that leap into entrepreneurship just like they did. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Student to CEO podcast. I'm so excited to have Robert Farrington joining us today. Robert is a millennial money expert and founder of thecollegeinvestor.com, which he launched in 2009 while finishing his MBA at the UC San Diego Rady School of Management after wanting to find other young adults who shared his passion for investing in personal finance. Through his work to help millennials get out of student loan debt and start building wealth for their future, Robert has emerged as one of the nation's leading student loan debt experts. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Same. I'd love if you could start off by sharing what you do and what led you there. Yeah. So as you kind of already mentioned, I run the collegeinvestor.com and we have become one of the leading personal finance sites. And our mission is really to help people get out of student loan debt so that we could start building wealth for the future as early as possible, because uh, I like seeing people get out of debt and I like seeing people hit their financial goals. Um, I started here, I mean, it was a weird journey for me to get here, but I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, I was the kid in middle school selling candy bars out of my backpack. In high school, I started selling things on eBay. Uh, I used to sell stuff out of my room, like old video games and things that I wasn't using anymore. And then it evolved from there. And, And I was taking that extra money, at least in high school, and I was starting to invest it. And I was really enjoying the stock market and kind of looking at individual stocks. And I did this through college. I was side hustling on eBay, getting some extra money, investing that money. And then I was reading other blogs and personal finance sites. And I, I came across the epitome. I don't know whose site it was at this point in time, but you, you're in marketing, you know this, but the site is how to start a blog. You know, it was a blog post on how to start a blog, right? <laughs> and I did it. I was like, you know what? I've been reading a lot of these personal finance blogs. I have these thoughts to share. I'm going to start a blog as well. And that is really how the college investor came to be um, well before my mission today and what we've been doing. But it was really a site for me to share my thoughts on investing and personal finance and kind of my my takes back then. I love it. And one question I have for you is, as you mentioned, you read that blog post about creating a blog. What was that process like in terms of not only creating it, but also finding ways to monetize it? Oh, man. Well, the creation was actually pretty simple, right? Uh, you know, you get a hosting account. Everything I started with was free back then. Like I had, I did a, like, well, it was like a $4 a month hosting account and it was a free website theme. And I think I paid $5 on Fiverr for a logo. So, I mean, I got started for really low cost. It really was not difficult to start. Monetizing, totally different story. I had no idea what I was doing. I read that blog post and, and that was really like, all I got through is how to start a blog, how to put some content out there. And it took me about a year and a half uh, before I finally figured out how to start monetizing a little bit. And, and it really was a turning point because that's when I actually started connecting with other online influencers, we call them today, but other online bloggers and sites. And I started learning. And that's when I learned that I could monetize and I started implementing some tactics to monetize. 
Love it. And I also love specifically that you focus on getting out of student loan debt and starting to build wealth. Because as for those of you who are listening, I found out about Robert online and what stood out to me about him was the fact that a lot of things that he mentioned about using side hustles to start building wealth and pay off student loans is exactly what I did with my company. And so I'd love if you could talk more about that in terms of people who maybe not necessarily have student loans, but other debt that they want to get out of, how they can use a side hustle or a business to do that. Yeah. I mean, a side hustle or a business is like, honestly, the best path to wealth you can take. Uh, you know, uh, it's my story. So when I graduated and I was all done with school, I had $43,000 in student loan debt and I knocked it out in about three and a half years. And I did it by working full time. I was a, when I graduated college, I was an assistant store manager at Target. And I did that 40 to 50 hours a week working in a store. And after work, I would go out and I would continue my eBay side hustle that I was doing in college. And I continued to grow that into the tune of about $2,000 a month. Remember, the blog wasn't making any money at this point in time. It was totally a hobby, something I started as a passion project, but it was the flipping items on eBay that was key for me. And so the combination of working full-time and selling things on eBay allowed me to eliminate my student loan debt. Then it allowed me to eliminate my car loan. Then it allowed me to buy a house with my wife and we paid that off. And, you know, it propelled our financial life. It was just like throwing gas on our financial fire of like just wealth building um, so quick. And that's why I'm such a huge proponent of it because, you know, you can only cut expenses so far. You know, you can't be frivolous. You know, if you want to go buy the latte or whatever, do it. I hate all these people that are like, don't go to Starbucks. That's silly. You know, do that. You do need to reward yourself. But like, you can only cut so much. You still have to live somewhere. You still have to get to work. You still have to eat. Like there's not going to be zero spending. There's always going to be something, but the amount you can earn is limitless. And it might not start limitless, of course, like we all start somewhere, but even a little bit extra can be huge, especially like, I'll tell you, like I read all these stats and you've probably seen these articles, like the average American can't afford a $400 emergency, right? And I just think to myself, man, like, you know, if you drove for Uber this week, even in a pandemic, or maybe you delivered for Postmates, you can make $400 this week. So it's like, I'm, I'm kind of baffled when people can't afford these things or do these things, because like, if you go out and earn and put in the work and the time, you could easily conquer your financial goals. Yes, that is a powerful statement. I'm going to repeat that for anyone who missed it. But to summarize it, what you had said was, you can only cut so many expenses, but the amount you can earn is limitless. That's like mind blowing, but so true. It's like exactly as you said, being able to add on those side hustles can help you to earn that extra money and be able to pay off your debt and save for, like you said, those emergencies that might come up. So as a follow-up question that I have for you, I know that some people might worry about struggling with how they're going to balance both their full-time job and a side hustle, or maybe even multiple side hustles. So what's your advice on that for someone who may be working 40 hours or maybe even more than that a week already, but wanting to add on something else to their plate? Sure. Well, I mean, it's also about our season of life your own personal situation. So I also like to say personal finance is personal. So I can generalize a lot, but you know, there are definitely outliers on all sides of the picture. But for most of us, like you said, 40 to 50 hours a week, uh, you know, we're working. 
40 to 50 hours a week, we're sleeping. And then what are you doing with the other like 40 to 50 hours a week? And that's really where the sweet spot is. When you're getting off work, are you going home and watching Netflix and spending money, ordering Postmates? Or are you on the reverse and every day after work from maybe four to eight o'clock at night, you're going out and earning something. And so it's a real mindset shift is really what it is. It's totally doable. Maybe you're a morning person. Maybe it's about getting up early before work and knocking out something and then going to work. You can find the time if you want it. I think a lot of people have a real hard time overcoming the barrier of wanting it enough or overcoming the psychology of what will people around me think if I try to do something different outside the norm of what my family or friend group is doing. And I think those two psychological barriers are really the harder part, not the finding time or putting in the effort or what to do. Oh, you are absolutely right. I remember when I started my company, which I started at only 19, I like was almost scared to tell people my age and people that I knew that I had a business because it was so different than what people expect of you at that age. And so exactly like you said, it's definitely something that blocks people from moving forward and taking that path just because it's an unconventional, even though I feel like it's definitely coming more um, common now, but an unconventional path. Absolutely. And you know what? I always like to remind people too, you're being judged at every level. It's just, are you conforming to what people think? So like when you're 19, people are judging you of what college you went to usually. So if you say like, well, you know, I'm running a business or doing something different, it just, it just changes their norms, but they're judging you anyways. So realize that, like, who cares? But then on the flip side, they're going to judge you at 30 when you're debt-free in a nice house with a family and you're living a life you want to live. And they're going to be like, wow, how did they get there so quickly? And they're not going to remember all this work and effort and random things you did along the way. It's just, that's what people do. They judge for good or bad. And you as an individual just have to realize that, accept it, and kind of stop caring necessarily what other people think. Absolutely. And when people get to the point where they really want to start a side hustle, I mean, I can imagine that their minds are just swimming with so many different ideas of side hustles that they can pick up. So what would you recommend for someone in terms of giving them ideas of how to start a side hustle? Like, do you kind of encourage people to look at specific variables or anything like that to help them know which one would be the best for them to pursue? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of all about scheduling earning potential, your personal preferences, like what you want to do. And there's so many options, like literally, like it's limitless as well. And I mean, yes, you have the things we talk about driving, delivering, you know, doing tasks. There's lots of those things out there. But there's, you know, things like I did flipping things to resell. Uh, my sister-in-law does crafting. So she uh, goes and buys and um, cardstock and things like that. It makes greeting cards, wedding invitations, things like that, and sells them on Etsy. Um, you know, there's the ability to, you know, rent your space, rent your stuff, uh, just all like the amount of things you can do are so limitless. So I would say, go try things. Think about things that you're interested in because it's a lot easier to do a side hustle if you're at least semi-interested in it. And, you know, just go into it with a goal. Uh, you know, even if you're going to deliver food, right? Be like, you know, I'm going to deliver for one hour today and just see if I even like it. And either you're going to learn that you like it or you're going to learn that this wasn't for me. And, you know, all you were into it was an hour of your time and you made a few bucks. So try things out. There's so many options out there and you never know what's going to stick unless you do it. Most definitely. 
as you were starting the collegeinvestor.com and doing the flipping on eBay, um, what would you say was the most difficult part of starting your business while young? You know, it's just not knowing, like, you know, you really do take a leap of faith on what you're doing. And I mean, that was kind of the biggest stumbling block with the college investors. I started the blog and luckily I was very passionate about it, but I had no idea what I was doing, right? I read a blog post and suddenly became like an expert, right? Not really, you know, you just think you know enough. And it wasn't until I started networking with other people and connecting that I learned so much more. And so I think that was the biggest challenge is realizing that networking is crucial. And you know, we've all heard this saying, I mean, we probably heard our whole lives, like you go network, it's who you surround yourself with. It's, you know, who you talk to, but I never really knew what that meant until I was starting the college investor. And it wasn't until I actually experienced it by connecting with others first online in forums and social media, and then in person actually going to conferences. And it's like, man, you learn so much more by networking. You build new friendships, you build relationships. They help you, you help them. And that really helped perpetuate the growth of my business. But that was also the hardest thing for me because it's a skill I never learned, something that no one, they talk about so vaguely, like go network, but you don't really know what it means, how to do it. And that was the biggest challenge. Yes, I can totally relate. I remember during like my freshman and sophomore years of college, they would, in my classes, my professors and faculty would constantly stress the importance of networking or got to the point where I just kind of like rolled my eyes and viewed it as a cliche. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But once I really started to get into networking within probably like my junior or senior year, exactly what happened with you, I noticed a huge difference in my business. And like you said, not knowing how to do it the right way can be really overwhelming, but networking is an incredibly powerful tool that people need to tap into in every way possible to be able to expand their business in various ways. hundred percent. And, you know, I think people have this, this weird view of networking of like, I'm going into pitch or I'm going into sell. And it's like, you know, I like to look at it as like, I'm going in to make friends. I'm going into it to learn something. I'm going in just to get to know people that are doing cool things. And if it's like, if you go in with that mindset of giving and trying to learn, and that's when you're gonna get the most of it. Don't be that person that goes into networking, trying to pitch yourself. Like it just turns people off. Absolutely. And an important thing to remember for our listeners out there too, is that networking happens in so many different ways. Like when I first started my business, I was a very big introvert. I still am in some ways, but I was really shy. And so the whole idea of me showing up to an event with a bunch of people I didn't know and kind of butting my way into a conversation felt really uncomfortable with me. And if something feels uncomfortable for you or just doesn't feel right at first, you can totally try different ways, like just setting up a one-on-one networking call or meeting someone for coffee or anything like that and finding ways that work feels good to you, but also makes an impact. Oh, it's so true. Like I, I'm with you. I'm very much an introvert. So like when I was saying I started online, I actually stumbled across a forum of other bloggers. A lot of them were doing personal finance. Some were doing entrepreneurship blogging. And that's my first intro into networking. And it works just as well as like, can you get into a Facebook group or some type of online forum to network, connect, share, 
get ideas, learn something. And, and that's where I started. And then it eventually evolved into a conference. But I remember walking into my first conference, I was so scared and shy and like <laughs> yeah. these people. And you're like, I think that's someone that, you know, you, you've read online and you think it's like a celebrity almost. And it's so awkward and it's hard, but, you know, start online, build those connections. Like, you know, you can do it from the safe space of your house, but at the same time you are networking. Absolutely. And exactly like you said, I mean, when you start going to more things like conferences and events and stuff like that, you'll feel so much more comfortable. Like I remember I love HubSpot's inbound conference here in Boston. And so I remember the first time I went, I was really kind of shy and held back. But the second time I went, I walked in and I was like, these are my people. Like (laughs) you just feel so at home and included and all of that stuff. And it does come with time and practice, but it's such a great way to be able to meet other people and grow as a business owner and a person. 100%. I can't agree more. On the opposite end of the most difficult part of starting your business while young, what was the most rewarding? You know, honestly, the most rewarding part was achieving those financial goals so early, like getting out of debt was huge for me. And it just really like reinforced like the path to wealth that I ended up getting on. And so, you know, became financially independent in my early thirties, you know, just really started tackling all these goals. And so, I mean, that, that was really the best part for me. And, uh, you know, I remember, cause I still, I worked my day job eight years, first eight years of my business. So it, even the college investor was a side hustle all through that time. And, you know, there was a switch that flipped about six years in where I was earning more on my side hustle of the college investor than I was at my day job. And it just is a freeing feeling inside when you're like realizing that like, the work I do here at this day job doesn't matter. You know, you can say it's like the FU money or the, the whatever it is, right? There's so many different sayings about it, but like there's a real like mindset shift that just happens when you realize that you're not necessarily beholden to this anymore. Like you can do it because you enjoy it. And that's what I think is so powerful about financial independence, building wealth, things like that is, is just that psychologically freeing feeling that you can do work you love. Totally. And I want to hone in on something that you mentioned, which was the fact that you still had your day job for eight years after starting the college investor. So what was kind of that turning point for you to be able to transition out of your day job and into the college investor full time? Yeah, I mean, it was a really hard decision, really hard. And uh, I really liked working at Target. I was a store manager. When you're a store manager and you do well, which I did, like no one really bothers you. Uh, You don't have a boss that's like above you. My boss is a district manager, but you know, she would be out and about and talking to people where there was issues. I never had issues. I maybe saw my boss in person, you know, every other month and maybe a phone call once a week. And so it's like, you just got to do your own thing. And as long as everything was going well, you just did your own thing. And so it was great. I I loved it. I enjoyed the work. But at this point in time, uh, my children, so I was married at this point, I had two kids and my son was about four, maybe three. And he was starting to do things on the weekends, like soccer games, right? And the hard part with retail is as great of a place to target is to work, there's going to be the drawback of you got to work nights, you got to work weekends, and you have to work holidays. Mm. It's just the fact of retail, right? You can't get out of yeah. that. Like I couldn't, I couldn't tell my boss, you know, I'm going to take, uh, take Black Friday, Thanksgiving weekend off. Like, no. Yeah, that is <laughs> like, the worst weekend to take off in retail. <laughs> you're never going to be allowed to do it, right? And so like those were starting to be roadblocks for me because there was other things I wanted to do. And 
you know, a lot of heart to heart conversations with my wife. And, you know, I, uh, another blogger that I really admire, uh, Paula Pant, she runs a, a site called Afford Anything. She has a phrase that's, you know, show me your money and show me your time and I'll show you what you value. And so the money was there, right? I'm making more on my side job. You know, we've paid off all of our debt and everything. But then we're hitting this roadblock with time. So it's like, how do I say I value my family and value being with them when the way I'm spending my time is going to a job that I didn't even really need to do anymore, but I was doing it almost selfishly, right? For comfort. It's what I'd known. I'd worked there so long. It was so easy. And so that was really the hard part is, uh, it was very scary too, in terms of, I'm going to leave this thing that I'm comfortable with and scary. But like, we came to the agreement that I, I, I should leave. There's no reason. We walked through like every scenario and, and you probably done this with your business, but it's even things like my wife would joke, like, what if the internet shuts off? Oh, like, would God. we be, would we be, <laughs> would we be okay if the internet turned off and like, we couldn't even run a website anymore? Like, like these things would ever happen. Right. But mm. you go through all this worst case scenario planning and we finally made a plan. I let my boss know. I let her, I gave a almost six months notice before I was leaving I had a plan to leave before the holidays, give a huge transition time. And it worked out really well. I'm super glad I did it. Um, I loved working there, but you know, my business has skyrocketed since I left as well. Yes. I was just going to say that. So I'm glad you mentioned that at the end is that I know a lot of people, myself, especially because I went through this, were kind of hesitant to let go of the day job or even part-time job that we have because we worry if we're going to be able to continue growing our business at the pace that it is. And so while I had first started my business, I was also working part-time at a coffee shop. And I was so hesitant to let go of that because I'm like, well, it's steady income. What if something happens with my business? But once I left that job, I ended up getting so many more clients because I had the time to focus on sales and things like that. And so that is a huge thing for our listeners out there to remember that sometimes putting your time elsewhere takes away from the time that you could have to focus on building your business even more. Absolutely. I don't even think you realize it because when you side hustle something for so long, you just get in a routine, right? And I think that was also the hardest part of my transition out of a day job and into entrepreneurship full time was what does that new routine look like? And so I almost went to like another extreme for a while. And, and I had some mentors and people that were like, you know, it takes like six to nine months before you figure it out. It's really weird. Like, you know, you almost have to decompress from your day job and then you can like really start cranking on your, your, your business. But I kind of like swung the pendulum and went like so hardcore on the business for a while. And my wife was like, I thought we quit your job so that like, you know, you could spend more time with the family and here you are, you quit your job and you just spend more time on the computer. And, mm-hmm. and so it was a really weird phrase, you know, phase while, while the business was growing and doing great. I had a, about a six and I really ended up being about a six, six, seven month window of time where I had to like rebuild routines, rebuild, uh, you know, my own personal self in terms of what that looked like every day um, for the future. And it was a weird time. Most definitely. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's something really hard as an entrepreneur is just kind of finding that (laughs) sweet spot almost. And for me, I I feel like personally, it's almost really difficult to find that sweet spot. Like things are never going to be totally balanced, but being able to find what works for you and what feels good to you is what's most important. 100%. 100%. And, so, and you know, and, and I was going to say, it ebbs and flows too with the yes. season of life. You know, like sometimes it's like more business, sometimes more family. But the cool thing is at the end of the day, you are just 
working for yourself. You're choosing your own battles. And, and remember that. I almost feel like in some ways, uh, business owners, we're harder on ourselves than like a boss would potentially be. Like we have these goals and ambitions, but remember, right. like you got to like, you got to put tone down that internal voice a little bit and realize that you're blessed to do what you do and, you know, you can make things work. 100%. And Robert, I know that you mentioned that being able to network did a lot for the growth of your business, but I want to ask you if there was anything else besides networking that you did that led to your success. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, networking is really important, but at the end of the day, you have to deliver a great product. And so for me, I, I run a media site. And so I always like to think of what is great media look like today? Um, you know, we rewind the clock 10 years ago and you write 500 words and that could be the best thing that you have. And so one of the things that I always constantly think about is how can I create the best, you know, thing, whatever it is for our readers. And usually it's an article, research, content. Maybe we're doing our own surveys. Maybe we're doing something like that. But in terms of depth of content, you know, doesn't answer all the questions. Do we have multimedia? And so as I continue to focus on that, delivering the best quality we can, that's also been a huge driver. And I learned all this through networking, of course, but like you got to put that into practice. You have to deliver the best. Um, whatever it is, whatever vertical you're in, whatever medium you're focusing on like you know look at what else is out there and be better than that and you will start shining through absolutely and also kind of backpacking off of that is the um, being able to listen to what your customers or clients or audience really wants and then being able to deliver that which I can imagine is most likely what you do with the college investor is kind of listening in on what people really want to know right now about student loan debt and building wealth and then delivering those resources and content that really helps to solve those problems for them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think listening to your audience is key. Answering their questions is key. I'll say, you know, I've I've become very well in tune with my audience over time. I wasn't there when I started. And that was also a, a big switch for me. I'll tell you, if you remember when I started, I was saying like, it was a personal blog. I was sharing my own stories. And one of the big inflection points was when I wrote about my student loan servicer. They messed up my payments and my billing and I had to go fight their customer service. And, you know, I was so frustrated. So I go to the blog and I write a whole, the whole thing about it. Right. Well, it was one of the first blog posts that kind of went viral back in the day. And I started getting all these comments and all these people saying, me too, me too. I'm having issues with my loan servicer. And that was a light bulb moment for me in terms of, I need to start writing about what I want and I need to start focusing on what readers want and listening to their concerns. And that's what really dove me down this rabbit hole of student loans. And especially now I've even paid them off, but I, I really continue to make it a focus. It's a hard one. And, you know, you fast forward to today, we're recording this in the pandemic. Uh, you know, we've had to really change our content strategy because, you know, things that I plan on normally talking about all of a sudden go right out the window when people are very concerned about things like unemployment benefits, stimulus mm -hmm. checks, you know, the student loans are paused. Like we had to totally shift our strategy and our messaging and what people want to know about. And we were able to do that and still have been having great success through the pandemic. But it's super important to realize the needs of your audience, what they're thinking about, what they're feeling and what they want to know. 
Yes. And that is an awesome point that you brought up in terms of being able to pivot, which I feel like has totally been the keyword of 2020 up until now and being able to identify when you really need to shift to what you're doing to accommodate for what your audience wants to know and what would really benefit them the most in this current time. Exactly. Throughout the past over decade of having the college investor, if there was one thing you wish you did differently since starting it, or one thing you know now that you wish you knew then, what would it be and why? Yeah, so I think we touched on it a lot already, but networking as early as possible. But going into this mindset of collaboration over competition, I think one big thing that a lot of people go into networking with, especially in a lot of these niches, is you know everyone's competing for the same customer. And in the personal finance space, which I play in, you know, I mean, there's probably a thousand personal finance blogs, and then there's YouTube channels and you know mainstream media like CNBC and stuff, and it's like, you know. I think it's so much better to go into it with a mindset of how can we collaborate? How can we work together? How can we learn together? Uh, versus like viewing these people as competition. I'll tell you that mindset has paid off for me over and over and over again. So beyond networking as early as possible, like go see who you can collaborate with in your space, go see who you can learn from and do that early too. And, and, and you'll see the growth from there. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And being able to think about that too. I mean, a lot of people have that mindset of being like, well, they're my competitors. I don't want to share stuff that they're doing, or I don't want to send people to them, but you can end up referring a lot of business to each other, which is huge. Yeah. I remember uh, it was at one of the conferences, social media marketing world, I think, or traffic and conversion, but you know, the speaker was on stage and he ran a pool business and you're probably familiar with them, but he goes up there and he's like, one of the blog posts that was the highest traffic blog post in my pool business was the, you know, the best pool companies in, you know, his city. And he's like, I listed all my competitors there. He's like, because it's Google, like everyone knows who your competitor is at this point in time, just like in my space, like everyone knows like what these major media sites are. If I said money magazine or CNBC, of course, you know, these sites exist. So it's like, why am I going to, pretend that they don't. Like, yeah. Let's just talk about it. Be honest with it. And you know what? Maybe I'm not the best at something anyways. And you can refer business or refer people to something better than what you have. But on the flip side, if you create something better, chances are, if you have a good relationship with your quote unquote competitors, they'll send you business as well. Like collaboration is huge. Exactly. And also going along with that too, I personally feel like there, I mean, there may be competitors in terms of people who do something similar as you, but no one does something exactly the same. Everyone has different processes and systems and how they handle things and even different tweaks in their packages, services and products and things like that. And so keeping that in mind, what really makes you different. And as you say, what you can do better is so important. Exactly. And so, like I said, collaborate over competition. And uh, I think you'll start seeing a lot of success as well. Most definitely. And Robert, one thing I also want to ask you, since you had started really since a young age of being able to do these side hustles and make your own money, why do you think it's so important for individuals to start a business or a side hustle at a young age specifically? Well, you know, first off, you learn a lot of skills, whether you stick with it or not. Like, I think that, you know, selling things on eBay and flipping things gave me a lot of skills to propel myself into jobs and different things. Uh, and you don't learn these things in school. Like you don't learn how to communicate effectively in a business setting or sales setting. You don't learn how to 
you know, problem solve something like in a classroom. Like you just don't learn these skills. So like one, it teaches you so many valuable life skills. Number two is the money aspect of it. You know, the one thing working against every single human is time. Like, frankly, we all have a finite amount of time here. Most of us have things we want to do with our time. And so if you can start putting money in the bank as quickly and as early as possible, you could set yourself up for a lifetime of financial success, which will give you the freedom to enjoy the things you want to do. And, you know, sadly, a lot of people have it and they're working until they're 70, 75. A lot of them, not because they want to, because they have to, because they can't afford it if they don't. And so if you're young, I want you to look at that and decide, is that what you want to do? It's not to say that you don't have to work, right? But there's a very big difference in doing work you love and passion projects and, you know, running a business that because you want to and you really enjoy it versus having to work a nine to five job. Because if you stop working when you're 65, you won't be able to afford the place you're going to live. And you're worried that you're going to have to downsize your life and make all these dramatic changes in retirement. Absolutely. And what you said was so important about the fact that the one thing that's working against every single human is time. So the earlier that you start with building a business or launching a side hustle or anything like that, the more time you have to make more money. And like you said, be able to have more wealth in your future and be able to put you into places such as paying off your debt sooner, buying a house sooner, anything like that. Yeah. You know, I know there's a lot of like sometimes ranting and raving about the hustle culture and and you got everyone, you know, people are talking about working so hard when you're younger. And I'll say, frankly, you know, it is easier. You know, usually when you're younger, you don't have children, you don't have a significant other. Um, Those things make it a little bit harder, not to say it's impossible, but it makes it harder. And so the younger you start too, the easier it sometimes can be for you to find the time, do these different things, you know, and, and get out there and try something different. Absolutely. And it definitely puts you in a higher position than if you start later, because I always say to myself, if I didn't start a business and if I went right into a nine to five after graduating from college, I wouldn't have my student loan debt paid off right now. I was able to pay it off within less than six months of graduating because of the fact that I was building that money up and saving while I was going to school and everything. And so it can really do so much for you. And like you said, help you to live the life that you want, which is ultimately what's most important. Exactly. And I think that's what we're all going for. Like, you know, we can talk this talk that we're we're working in a job we love and all these things, but let's be honest for 98% of people, I mean, you're working that job because you're trying to live, trying to rent an apartment or buy a house. You're trying to pay your bills. You're trying to eat, you know, like ask yourself, is this what you'd actually be doing if, you know, the money in your bank account said $10 million or something, right? Uh, that's really what you think about when you're trying to get to this path to financial independence. And, you know, you can do work you love and financial independence can look different for everybody. Um, But I think truly that's the goal for everybody, whether you think about it in that approach or not. I mean, even if you're thinking about regular retirement, the goal is you save up enough money so that you stop working when you're 65, that you can live off your money, pension, and social security. Like it's the same concept. It's just, when is that bucket of money going to be enough for you that you can choose to do something different without feeling trapped? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. 
And Robert, you have shared so many great pieces of advice that I know I've found to be really valuable that I can't wait to kind of keep in mind and see how I can continue to add them throughout my own life. So I know that our listeners will feel the same exact way. And I'd love to ask you if there was one last piece of advice that you would like to share with someone who may just be starting out, what would it be? Yeah. So I mean, really just have fun with it. Try it out, explore new things. You know, even if you're successful or it doesn't work out, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn about what you like, what you don't like, things you're passionate about. But I would also say, don't give up. Like just iterate, try something different. Maybe you decide, you know what? This entrepreneurship thing's not for me. I'm going to just continue to focus on my job. That's cool. But you've learned a lot about yourself and you can plan now the next five, seven years of your life in a better place because you've learned something. So try it out, see what works, see what sticks and, you know, just continue to iterate through your life. 100%. Robert, thank you so much for joining us on the Student to CEO podcast today. I'd now love if you could share where our listeners can find you online in case they'd like to connect with you further. Yeah, definitely. So we already talked about thecollegeinvestor.com. That's our home base. If you like to listen to podcasts, like you probably do, uh, we have the College Investor Audio Show on your favorite podcasting platforms. And, you know, we also do a lot of video content on YouTube and TikTok at The College Investor. Perfect. And I will link to all of those in the show notes in case anyone missed them so they can click through and read from there. But thank you so much again for being a guest today, Robert. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I was excited to be here. This is fun. Thanks so much for listening today. I'd love it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with those who could use it most. For show notes and more information, go to studenttoceo.com forward slash podcast.